You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Wiradjuri and the Tharawal people. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, David James Young here, back for one last week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands for 2020. We fucking made it. <laughs> Can you believe it? I sure as shit cannot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we all definitely had moments where we are just like, are we gonna get through this? And, and somehow, somehow we did. So if you're listening to this, congratulations, you made it. Welcome to the Crusader. This is the 26th and final episode of 2020, so I have a bunch of people to thank, but before we get to that, let's talk about this week's guest, because I am unbelievably excited to have them on the show. This week's guest is Tony de Blasi. Uh, You may not know the name Tony de Blasi by itself, but you will know the name with which he is one half and has been uh, since 1997 a founding member of the Avalanches, one of the country's most unique and original and uh, enigmatic bands of probably the last 20-odd years, uh, becoming stars, of course, at the turn of the century with their game-changing debut album, Since I Left You, finally following it up 16 years later with the album Wildflower, and now a mere four years later, they return with their third album, which is called We Will Always Love You. It is an absolute odyssey. It is one of the year's best records. And uh, yeah, I am just absolutely stunned by it. It is an absolute masterpiece. So uh, yeah, to get to talk to Tony about uh, a bit of the band's history, uh, their genre traversing, getting to take on the world, uh, revitalizing the project after so many years, uh, a, a few eventful DJ sets from the mid-2000s that we'll get into. Tony just has so, so, so many stories, and uh, honestly, this podcast could have gone for probably another hour if we wanted to, just because, yeah, he just had so much to talk about and so much to share about the history of the band, and... Uh, yeah, I'm really, really happy with how this turned out. This is basically a definitive, uh, somewhat abridged, but uh, still very comprehensive history of the avalanches and the story thus far. A big, big thank you to Mariam Dib over at EMI for helping to set this one up. Massively, massively appreciated. And also a big shout out to the little dum-dum club who get a, a bit of a nod here. Carl Chandler, a childhood friend of both Tony and Robbie from the Avalanches. And yet somehow... <laughs> <laughs> Somehow a member of the Avalanches ended up on my podcast before theirs. 
Given this is the final episode of the year, I want to give a massive thank you to the people making it possible. Paul McWhorter and Adam Buncher worked tirelessly on helping out with the show's audio and making sure everything uh, was good to go. So a massive thank you to the two of them. Of course, I have to thank the people uh, that made these episodes possible. Without them, there would be no guests to talk to. So Kat Clark and all the team at Cooking Vinyl Australia, uh, all the girls at Death Proof PR, I love you guys so, so much. Charlie Ellison and Remote Control Records. Uh, the brilliant John Howarth, Samantha Claude, and everyone at Frontier, uh, Domino Records, Destroy All Lines, John Larney and the Footstop Music Crew, uh, Joe Corbett Publicity, Nicole Stringer, and everyone at Chug Entertainment, Sarah Thompson and Poison City Records, Janine Morkos from Dallas Does PR, a long-time supporter of this podcast. Thank you so much, Janine. Uh, the crew over at Lemon Tree Music, uh, the crew at uh, One Louder, especially Mel Cheng, Ash and everyone at Elephant Tracks, uh, the crew at Lookout Kid, uh, Jody and everyone at Spinning Top Records, Jeremy Dillon and Potts Entertainment, and of course, a big, big thank you to The Vanguard in Sydney for having us for the two live episodes that we did a couple of months ago. Thank you so, so much. have to give a massive thank you to everyone that has helped keep the lights on this year over at Bar Bands HQ by supporting me on Patreon. Massive thank you to Amy Gray, Bill Robinson, Blake Hennequin, Catherine Burgess, Chris Bowden, Chris Kearns, Dave McCarthy, David Armstrong, David Beckett, Elliot J. O'Neill, Eloise Young, Felix Hubble, Jeremy Dillon, Jeremy Neal, John O'Elvery, Carly Herring, Katie Beersha, Lachlan Canwick, Liam Sherlaw, Mark Wilson, Mary Gleason, Matthew Lynch, Patty Abelos, Paul McWhorter, Philip Spiteri, and Will McDougall. Of course, if you would like to join this list of extraordinary human beings, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash David James Young. I'm going to be leaving bar bands for a little while over the Christmas and into the new year period. God knows I bloody well need it. And uh, God knows you probably need a bit of a break as well. So you go and enjoy your Christmas and your new year. Okay, people? Tell them DJ why I sent you. Let's cross now to my chat with Tony de Blasi from the Avalanches. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Tony de Blasi. Hello, everybody. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. You know, we're very busy at the moment, but being busy is good because during lockdown there, there wasn't a lot to do, so it was kind of mm. the opposite of that. So, are you in Melbourne? Uh, no, I'm in Wollongong, the greatest city oh, in the world. Oh, <laughs> the gong. <laughs> the home of Silverchair. Oh no, Newcastle! Uh, no, that's oh, that's Newcastle, man. I always get other, those two other mixed end. up. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two there's two steel cities. We're the superior yep. steel city. <laughs> <laughs> there is only we one. We didn't have steel silver city. chair, but we did have tumbleweed, so we've got oh, that. Oh man, even us. better. Sorry, come on, yeah, tumbleweed, amazing. Yeah, man. Did the Avalanches ever play Wollongong? Uh, we did. I'm pretty sure we played Wollongong supporting the Beastie Boys. What? 
down in yeah. Dude. And as a, I bet you like someone's gonna Google this and go, dude, it was Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I am I am a hundred percent positive that we played Wollongong with the Beastie Boys in maybe ninety nine or something like that. Holy shit. Yeah. If, uh, like to me I've just got it was just like a big shed or something like that. Yeah, wow. Like, so I don't know if you've got some type of stadium that's like a huge shed. Yeah, the Win- but, um, we've got the Wynn Entertainment Centre. So That might have been it. Yeah, that had just yeah. opened the year prior, so that would add up. But like, holy yes. shit. Yes, I'm, I'm 100% so yeah, you know, big, big gong man I am. <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. Oh, wow, yeah. that's, a, that's a fucking unreal story to kick off. It's, it's weird to be talking about the Avalanches having a lot of activity because, you know, this is the band most famous for not having activity for many, many, I many know. years. It's, it's a strange feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just years and years of empty calendars and now like, it's just what, like something what, on every day. It's like, what? <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. But it is, like I said, it's so much better and it's so much fun and you know talking to people like you and doing this shit is is, it's good fun obviously made a very conscious decision to not want to do it the Mm. next one in 16 years and do it a lot quicker yeah yeah yeah. so we're we're quite glad that we've succeeded in that absolutely absolutely so i begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music specifically where it changed over from being something that you were maybe watching on tv listening to on the radio etc to switching over and being this is what i want to do i want to sing i want to play instruments be in a band all that sort of stuff like can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing and if there was a sort of switch on moment for you there was definitely a switch on moment and this is really strange because we had to do this um it was like called teenage kicks for the guardian and it was three things that during your teenage years that inspired you and yeah, for me, right. it was one of them one of them was you know I'd, I'd always been interested in music but you know it was was never like I, I wanted to do music or anything and then mm. it was the first term at in high school and we had like the choice between you know doing free guitar lessons for a term you know maybe wood chipping or you know some type of other you know course or so there were about five different things we could do and i went oh maybe i'll i remember seeing actually i remember seeing a photo of my dad with an electric guitar yeah right. so he he didn't really play i think he just had one for a year and maybe played a tiny bit yeah, yeah and yeah. so i was like oh i'll choose the guitar and as soon as i had my first lesson and was kind of learning and the, the whole fingering of of the chords it's always really hard and everything like that but i i just found it i picked it up really quickly like i picked up the strumming the timing the ear for like how to do it and i was just like wow this is this is really cool and everyone else found it really hard but i was like you know this is this is pretty simple and then so after that after that term we were just learning chords like the first song i learned was the house of the rising sun yeah uh, which is, you know, a classic. And Smoke on the Water was another one. So I got my parents to buy me a guitar. And from then on, like, I didn't have any more lessons, but I could just pick up, you know, I could hear a song and then just teach myself how to play it. Yeah. So I was like, from there, I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, I can, I can just hear it and, you know, I can hear that song and go, okay, I'll find out the chords and be able to play and sing along to that. And then, you know, just started kind of writing songs. And there was, and there was just like a moment where I went, you know, oh, this is this is what I want to do with my life, mm. and like it was very defining. 
this is all I'm going to do. I'm going to be in a band, you know, I'm going to be famous and nothing else is going to matter. So I reckon from, you know, maybe year eight, school meant absolutely nothing. Yeah, to me. yeah. So I think maybe my parents regretted buying me the guitar in the end, but um, I just didn't give two shits about school. It was like it was like I just had this focused vision of what I was going to do and what I was going to be and all those years later it's I guess it's it's happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the good and the for the good and the bad. Indeed, <laughs> yes, was, yeah, yeah. I did manifest my own destiny. For sure. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in the Oakley Chadston area of Melbourne which is like the southeastern suburbs. Right. You might have heard of Chadston, the shopping centre. Yes, indeed, yeah. The, the massive shop. So we actually had a fruit shop in the shopping centre. So that was like... Yeah, right. and, and that that shopping centre was like the, the hub of all the kids, the teenage kids around and everything. So that was that was a lot of fun. Like, And, and when I said to you, know, it was really funny because we actually had the fruit shop and I would wag school to go and work in the fruit shop mm. and, you know, my parents owned it, so that, <laughs> they didn't care. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, grew up around there and, um, yeah, that's where, that, that's, that's the hood. Even being on the outskirts of Melbourne, you would have had a pretty instant access to, to music, like you just get on the tram or the train or whatever and you, you ride into the city and you get to go to all the stores and all the venues and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I'm going to be honest, I wasn't into that that much when I was growing up. It was more just my own thing of like, you know, I just love music and, and but I was never seeking out, you know, bands or anything like that. I think I, I tried to start one with some friends when I was about 16. Right. Um, but it wasn't until, so when I was 18 years old and my parents had divorced and my mum had moved like when I was about 16 and my mum had married someone else and moved to central Victoria to this town called Maryborough and so this is this is where you know at 18 years old I was like I wouldn't say a bad boy but but like you know I just was doing whatever Uh at some point I just got kicked out of my dad's place for just being I I was being a little shit you know (laughs) at the time I was like you bastard but it's like no no I was I was the shit so anyway I went up to I was like well what do I do and then my mum's like well you can come up and live with me and I'm like what is the country like yeah what's going on there so so you know the Oakley Chadston area is a very multicultural hub of like you know it's very diverse and everything like that and then so went up to the country and it's just like 1991 central victoria one of the most crazy backward towns you've ever seen in your life i was like into music and had long hair and everything and i was like where the fuck am i (laughs) and then you end up hanging out with rat bags like carl chandler exactly and i just then noticed your i'm aware of the little (laughs) dum-dum So in Maryborough, it was like you either had a choice to to hang out with the, I'd call them kind of the jocks, the footy players who were really straight, or kind of you know the the dudes who were into music, and I automatically gravitated towards them. And you know they're like real really rough kind of bogan families and that, but I love that. I'm you know I'm I've got my inner bogan. I'm definitely yeah definitely right up there with that. So from there, just just met some people, and and I think I was in art class, and I was. Just singing. I used to just sing along to shit all the time, and and this this other Mark Carl Chandler's cousin Mark. So he was mm-hmm. in a band, and he's like, 
we've got a blue light disco coming up, so we're going to get you on. You're going to sing for us. And I'm like, I'm not fucking singing. <laughs> How am I going to do that? Like, <laughs> I can't sing. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, you're going to do it. So that band was like a metal band, and it was called Mortuary. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, what a name. So I think we rehearsed for about maybe a few weeks and right. got up there in front of, you know, and I just arrived in this town as the ethnic boy. <laughs> it's like the token, <laughs> the token wog up there. <laughs> even yeah. even the, the, they had a few Italian families there, but they'd been there for a hundred years. So they were like, the first, so they yeah. were so Aussie-fied. They weren't even, they weren't even... You know, they didn't even have any the roots or anything, whereas I grew up with my nonno and nonno and all that. So anyway, yeah, yeah, played yeah. this played this gig, you know, in front of all these people and it kind of went really well. And from there, you know, met Robbie, obviously. And then with Carl's cousin, Mark, we started a band and, and I just kind of automatically, you know, Robbie and I just got along really well and, you know, kind of like the same music and everything. So, you know, that that's kind of where I guess, you know, we, we started all those years ago in 1991. So that was the first time you played live? That was the first time I played live. And oh, wow. It was quite frightening. And I remember, <laughs> so it was like in this hall and I remember like, you know, we we're all signing something and I wrote, cut this out when I'm famous <laughs> and sign my name and like did the little cut marks around. Fuck, <laughs> I'm a that's <dickhead>. good. <laughs> uh, yeah. wonder if anyone took you up on that. <laughs> uh, it's probably still there, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe Carl's got it somewhere. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so where do you go kind of musically from there? Like uh, what kind of uh, stuff are you doing? Uh, so musically, we... We just started like writing our own songs and everything. With with Robbie, we did a Battle of the Bands mm. and won Best Original Song, which which I sang and <laughs> was just in this really really Pearl Jam voice. Oh, like so a man, like, yeah. awesome <laughs> And I remember we we, we so the, the prize was we got to go to this country studio and record it. And I remember, like, we recorded it and it just sounded so bad because we all had no idea what we were doing that we just, like, stopped on the way home and went, we've got to promise we're never playing this to anyone ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't. So, but, but Robbie and I just kept hanging out and, 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 you know, writing songs together and playing music, you know, and he kind of turned me on to stuff like, you know, My Bloody Valentine and mm. things like that. And I was like, holy shit, what's this kind of music? This is crazy. You know, I'd, I'd been very much into the Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was into, you know, Smiths and, you know, um, Primal Scream and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, from there we – like he was a year younger than me. So I finished high school before him and kind of just hung out, you know, on the dole, just hanging out with, you know, Carl and and Robbie and still writing songs. And we were still in bands and just doing things. The year he finished high school, he moved down to Melbourne. So I moved also down to Melbourne. I was like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. It's yeah. time to get the hell out of there. So we were friends. We were both in Melbourne. And then this girl, Joe was dating this guy, Darren Saltman, from a band called Ripe. Yeah, yeah. Through her, we ended up meeting him. And that's kind of when I think it all got pretty serious as far as like, okay, let's really start a band. And, and, and you know, we were, because we were so young, we were like, oh man, you know, they, 
we we watched them play, and they and he was drumming for Ripe at the time, yeah. and and we were like, you know, this guy's really big. It's like, oh, look at that sold out the Punters Club. This is amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. We get to be in a band with this guy. Oh, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we love Darren. We were like, oh, he's amazing. You know. Joe and Darren moved into this house together and Robbie moved into the spare room. And eventually I moved into that spare room as well. As well, So Robbie and I would share a bedroom and so we'd have two single beds and in between would be a like a, a cassette player and a bong. <laughs> <laughs> the so, bare essentials, yeah. The, the bare essentials. I mean, that was exactly it, you know, with enough money to get like baked bean jaffles and maybe get a pie every now and then mm-hmm. and so we were on the dole just and we'd, we'd just jam every day and that was it like that was that was kind of the start of the avalanches right yes how how far along then like after those uh initial kind of like jams or whatever like did you actually uh perform for the first time like what did an avalanches show actually consist of when you were starting out well it, it didn't it started f- maybe like i kind of lost touch a bit with Darren and Robbie because I went through a bit of a, a stoner phase and I was just like, I don't want to do anything, you know. So yeah. they – and Robbie Robbie had got into sampling and everything through – so he was doing this RMIT course. was like, you know, with music production and everything like that. So he got into sampling and I'd lost – I'd kept in touch a little bit but for a couple of years and then all of a sudden, you know, I just, you know, get a, a phone call out of the blue from – him and he's like, oh, you know, we're starting a band and, we, and you know, c- come back and be in the band. And, and I was like, okay, cool. And so I went over their place and it was, at the start, it was Gordy, McQuilton, Darren, Robbie and me. And we just started jamming on these, you know, sample, just th- these little little sample kind of get-togethers that we had, you know. So you have a couple of samples in a row and, you know, bash out on the drums and I'd be on keyboards playing along to them and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, from the very first practice, it was like, you know, it was great. It just felt really, really good. So I think it would have been quite quickly after that we decided let's just play our own show. And, you know, we'd jam in Robbie and Gordy. They live together and we'd jam in their kitchen. We had the Hammond organ and the drums and we'd just set up and bash. And, and yeah, from there, it was, I think it was three months of just practicing and, and the neighbors oh my god it was oh, they would have hated it there's you know it, it was like townhouses in carlton so they're all joined next to each other and we'd just be so loud in the kitchen hammering away and yeah. and from there like we just got we we've got this gig at the nicholson and and we just played there and everyone liked it and and so so this is what i haven't talked about is we ended up recording a single called rock city so this was very early on. Uh, Rock City and the B-side was Thank You, Caroline. And from that, and I think we'd only done two shows, and from that, Steve Pav, the famous founder and owner of Modular, Modular the man yeah. with the golden ears who signed Cut Copy and Presets and Wolf Mother and Tame Impala. Uh, and from that, he was automatically like, you guys are my thing. And oh, we had this whole Beastie Boys. I don't know if you've heard Rock City, but it was like kind of a Beastie Boys rapping. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's what people don't remember. Like the Avalanches were a rap band. Yeah, yeah. A rap punk band back then. Darren and I used to do a bit of rapping. And so from there, we, we, we'd done, I think, three shows at the Nicholson, or two maybe, to no one. And Pav was like, so he was at the time not, didn't have a record company, but he was like, I want to sign you guys. 
and I'm going to base my record company around you guys. Yeah, wow. And, you know, just from that crazy Rock City single, which if you listen to it now, you just think, how... <laughs> <laughs> how are you putting your hopes on this right band? yeah yeah it's crazy yeah yeah so we we ended up getting the support for the john spencer blues explosion yeah who were huge at the time like this this was the the late 90s they were massive so this was at the prince of uh, no no, no uh, the palace yeah in st kilda and so all of a sudden you had this whole street press everyone in australia going who the fuck are the avalanches yeah like, who is this band, the main support that no one has ever heard of as support for the John Spencer Blues explosion? Yeah. Like, this is insane. And from there, it became the biggest hype train you've ever heard. Like, yeah, it was just yeah. like every record label, street press, or like every news, every everyone was like, wanted to find out who mm. the avalanches were. So, so we ended up playing these John Spencer Blues explosion gigs as our fifth, I think, shows which was quite insane So we're playing in front of a, a dedicated, you know, full-on 2,000 people yeah, yeah. arena. Well, not arena, like a but, big you know, theater, it's, yeah. it's a big place. It's a big theatre. So so we ended up doing those, and they were really good. Like, so we'd done it, you know, we, in between the Nicholson, we'd done, I think, the Empress and something else. And so we were, after those Blues Explosion shows, we felt like we were really, you know, kind of hitting our straps. And, you know, we had all the confidence of all this hype behind us, and people were like, yeah. who is this band? And... You know, all, everyone was writing about us and like, this is the this is the yeah. big next thing. So from there, it was like, you know, we had all these labels trying to sign us and, and people used to call us the avalanches because <laughs> people were always taking us out to there lunch trying to sign yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Go to all these lunches and get all these free meals. And I remember like, I honestly, I don't think I'd ever been to a restaurant before. And that's no joke. Yeah, like, wow. as Growing up, we didn't go to a restaurant. I think we'd, we'd been to... Swagman Bistro a couple of times for my grandmother's yeah, yeah. birthday, but it was just like you know we didn't go out to eat. It was it wasn't a thing. So we'd get taken out to these fucking amazing restaurants, yeah, with all these different labels, and we'd be like, yeah, let's do it, and eating this incredible food and just drinking, and we'd be like, let's just take advantage of everything that we can, yeah. even though I mean you know it sounds horrible now looking back on it, but we were really dedicated to Pav. Like, he was the one who brought us up, and he didn't have a label yet, but he was, and he was like, don't sign with anyone. You're going to sign with me, and we're going to do this amazing label mm. together. So, you know, I, I think we got taken out by every label maybe in Australia and all the publishers and ate and had the best time, <laughs> even though we knew we weren't going to sign with you. Yeah. Record labels back then had a lot of money, so we didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> we were just like, yeah, bring it, man, bring yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Bring the lobster, you know. <laughs> What's the most expensive thing yeah. on the menu? Okay, I'm having that. What's yeah. the most expensive bottle of champagne? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. having that. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and, and from there, obviously, you know, we, we did El Producto, which was the follow-up to the Rock City single, mm-hmm. and that was released on Pav's kind of interim label called Wonderground before he'd had Modular set up, and, you know, from there, obviously, had Modular, and we did Since I Left It and put it out on that. So, so yeah, the, in regards to your question mm-hmm. about what it consisted of, it consisted of a S900 sampler that had, like, what you would call, I guess, the backing track, so, like, the main samples. So, that... I think it was maybe 12, I think, 
megabytes yeah, oh. of sound. Look out. Yeah, it, yeah, look out. So you couldn't fit very much on there. We had drums. We had this old Hammond organ. We had a Roland SH-1000, I think, synthesizer, and we had a bass guitar. Yeah, right. So that, that was the Avalanche's show, and we would all swap instruments for, you know, so it'd be like one song I'm playing keys, one song I'm playing bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darren and Robbie used to swap on drums, like, and, and we'd, ha- oh, we'd trigger the samples with a MIDI keyboard. So that, that was pretty much it. That's how it all began. Yeah, and the first show, was, was that at the Pundits Club? No, no way, man. Oh, Pundits Club. Well, no, I bring it up because um, previous guests of the show, uh, Something for Kate, uh, they played their first show there. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, oh, we wish. I mean, that, that was, you know. So it was at a place called the Nicholson, and we kind of just wanted to keep it pretty quiet. Yeah. Because we were just so nervous. But it ended up like friends telling friends and all stuff like that, and... I think about maybe 50 people turned up. So we were just, well, we, I just remember feeling like, oh my God, this is the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. And somehow we got up on stage and and went through the, you know, 10 songs we did. And it was like, back then we're very, very punky. Like that, that, that's, you know, since I left, he was a very refined album and, but we started off being really, really, you know, this crazy bash and crash. You know, we we, we had that kind of punk et- ethic about us. And yeah. Didn't you guys, like, break your legs on tour and shit? Two legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Darren, Darren broke two legs. Okay. One of them I broke. <laughs> we, we were like just... It, it was just like all this pent-up energy, energy would go on before we played. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember we'd just... We'd be jumping on tables and shit before we played. It was like... Gorillas getting excited at the zoo or yeah, something. Yeah, it, yeah. it was, it was, and that, and we bring that energy onto stage, and it was just mayhem, like absolutely mayhem. We'd like bash each other, and you know, and like I broke his leg, he fell down, and I just went. I think remember I had the bass, and I just fell sideways and just went crack onto his leg oh. and, and broke it. Dude. And you know, to his credit, he kept playing. <laughs> And then it was like, you know, after the show, we had to go to hospital. And I went with him to hospital and I felt so incredibly bad. And he, like, I remember he said this amazing thing and he said, you know, if there's one person that I'd want to break my leg, it'd be you. (laughs) And I was like, oh. Oh, bless. Oh, God, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. That was, was, you know, that I'm sure he was just said it to make me feel better. But it was, it was. I felt like there was some intention to it. Yeah. There, was, there was, yeah, there was some love. For sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, you bring up since I left you, and uh, obviously last weekend was the twentieth anniversary, uh, which is it was, yeah, which is just unreal. Um, and yeah. I, I want to uh, just kind of go back to that period because, like, mm. you know, ob- obviously that's that's when the band is like properly. In the zeitgeist, you know, you know, you're top ten in the hottest one hundred. You've you know picked up this truck full of Aria awards. You're you know got yeah. international eyes on you and everything. And you know, like, like top ten in the top ten in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, over there when it came out, it was, it was everywhere. It was yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. For you know, a band that had started out, you know, like you said, in this kind of very low key and very kind of nervous way, like. Uh, how how are you transitioning into like 
having that public image and that kind of pressure on you and just like people following along on everything, you know, because it just becomes this whole saga unto itself, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the nervous thing I think was was just at the very start because we certainly grew into ourselves as we played more shows and started to like, and we were cocky little kids. We were, we were like... We're going to blow anyone off stage. We didn't care. We we, we thought we'd yeah. just, you know. I remember we played, I think it might have been the big day out, and we played before at the drive-in, and we were, we were like, we're going to make them be ashamed to come on after us. So we just had this really attitude of like, so we were already very, you know, confident and everything like and, and maybe that was just an, an ex, you know a weird expression of the nerves and everything but but yeah, yeah when since i left you came along it was it was quite crazy it i felt like it it kind of did okay here because it came out in so obviously november 27 2000 it came out here and then it, it was cool and it, and it you know did its thing and everything but it, it still I, I don't think it was till it, it when it, it like went top 10 in the UK and then we went over there and did a big tour and we were just seen as being this really great cool band and you know I think for the Brit Awards we were nominated for best international acts and mm. t- taken out by the strokes who they, they came they came along and just completely out cooled us yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that same year and it was like dang you cool new york pre hipster good-looking oh, model yeah, dudes yeah. who also play amazing music. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it was a crazy time, but a really, really fun time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What do you remember about uh, touring internationally for the first time? Like, uh, what, was, what was that experience like? Oh, yeah, that, that was another one where, where the maybe the nervous energy kind of <laughs> got ahead of us. I yeah, think yeah. that – so we, we played in Barcelona. Right. And I remember it was this, uh, there's just some, there's always these great things that just stay with you. Like I remember getting out, so you get driven to the festival and I remember just getting out of the van and I don't know for some reason where we parked the van and and just looked over and the Flaming Lips were playing, um, what's it called, Race for the Prize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just walking yeah, yeah, out yeah. to my first festival in Europe and just looking at that going, holy crap. And, you know, just all the the whole atmosphere and, and you know, the visuals and the props and everything that they have and was like, this is insane. This is so cool. The Barcelona show, I think we were so nervous and just crazy. <laughs> we, yeah. I think we broke so many pieces of equipment during the first two songs. It was like... We kind of, <laughs> maybe just like you know, being in a, a boxing match and throwing every punch in the in the first thirty seconds and then being completely fucked. So we just you know, there, there's actually some great video of that where we trashed the drums at the end of the thing. It just like smashed Holy everything shit. and just walked off stage. And these, you know, the, and so these people were were used to hearing this beautiful. You know, you know, amazing albums since I left you, yeah. and what they got was just this freak show of crazy punkness. So, you know, they they loved it because the, the Spanish mm. are also, you know, they're they're crazy people. They they get into all stuff like that, so they were going wild. But there was also this, just this contrast of of, but that's not the since I left you thing. So so yeah, the shows did get better and more refined, and and it was a, it was a great little tour. There it was. You know, I, I just remember the first f- 
for some reason, the first two songs we played were songs that weren't on Since I Lefty, but were so heavy. It was like really, really punky. Yeah. And we were playing this festival called the V Festival and little Kylie Minogue had, you know, obviously heard the record and had decided, you know, to come out right, getting yeah. carried from her. So she had like a Winnebago kind of thing and that was her backstage. That was how she travelled, which is all, all, you know, good luck, Kylie. We, we all aim to get our own little Winnebago's to, to tour in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she got, got carried because it was a bit muddy by one of her security guards at the stage and I remember her just standing next to me and I was like, holy shit, that's Kylie Minogue. As as we were about yeah. to start, and she probably thought she was going to see this amazing, you know, beautiful, you know, like Since I Lefty was, gorgeous music. <laughs> and like I said, we the first two two songs were these really crazy punk, show, punk songs. And so we started playing and it was just like me just like hammering the organ and it's just noise. It's just a crazy <laughs> noise. Yeah. And, you know, I was focused <laughs> on the performance and I just remember after the first two songs I looked over and, <laughs> and Kylie was gone. <laughs> so she was like, you know, yeah. had all hopes of, you know, staying in the city, standing outside of stage and watching and she was like, I'm out of here, take me back to my Winnebago. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was yeah. you know, that was a moment of, you know, sadness and also oh, pride, God. to be honest. Yeah. Not good enough for Charlene, of, mate. Of, of, <laughs> These are good memories. I, I don't get asked these questions. It's always about the new record and, and what happened during Wildflower and all that. And it's like, it's good to go back to these times because these were the the fun, no pressure times. So it's really good to rem- reminisce, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, like, I, I wanted to uh, here we talk go. a little bit here more. Here we go. <laughs> well, no. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Joke. To, tell me whatever you want. I'm here. Well, no, I, I, I want to kind of focus in on those kind of the quote-unquote lost years of the avalanches, you know? So, in the, you know, kind of... Yeah, the mid-2000s kind of onwards. Like, uh, are you out of performing entirely? Like, are you getting up with friends or anything? Are you jamming? Like, what what are you doing as a performer, like, in those years since you get off the road from since I left you and you get on the road for Wildflower? Uh, It was was nothing. Like, Robbie and... So, Darren was still in the band and we were all just still, like... We were writing probably two years after Since I Left You. Like, we, we'd started writing yeah. in maybe 2002. So I remember, like, yeah. you know, maybe three or four of the songs from Wildflower were this. I remember Robbie had done this. He's like, oh, guys, I've been, you know, this is in 2000. Like, it's like, I've got, you know, been writing all this new stuff. And, and so, yeah, he had this tape. And, and I remember thinking, oh, f- like, it was a CD. And I thought, there were so, so, so many great songs in it. And I was like, oh, man, this next record's going to be easy. It's going to be amazing. And then, so we, we started jamming pretty much straight away. And, we, you know, like, Darren, Robbie, and I, Robbie had a studio at his house. And so we, we got into, we started trying to write songs and with keyboards and guitars around samples and all that kind of stuff. So we got a little bit lost with with that. I remember we had... Frankie Sinatra quite early though but it was very very early so we were going the whole time like it was you know that's what people don't realise they thought like did you take years off to is that what I was like no we were we were right we wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs yeah trying to get to Wildflower and and then it was just like you know as the years built up since I left you did become this you know it kind of grew in its aura yeah and became this you know mythical thing and and you know just just being 
perfectionists and especially R- Robbie's very uh, very perfectionist and we we didn't want to back it up with anything inferior and it's yeah. like so we didn't want to go down so we we just kept you know wandering around trying to trying to find the sound that was going to be wildflower and, and you know halfway through the journey Darren's like guys I'm out I've I've had enough and yeah. that you know looking back we were we were quite bitter at the time you know it's it's you know he's he's one of our best friends and you know we'd been doing it for so long and this is I think 2011 and now looking back at 2020 you know he just had a kid everything it's like oh, you know I get it man it was we were wandering around and and it just felt like it was going nowhere yeah yeah so you know that was 10 years 11 years after since I left you so you know <laughs> it's like it to to me I was like this is a bit like oh yeah and Dexter and James had left before that so yeah, yeah. I, I felt like it was a little bit like band survivor yeah right yeah yeah, it, yeah. you know you know what I mean yeah. it, was, it was like who can survive the longest so in the end it did it did end up being Robbie and I and yeah it was just a crazy time there were, there were lots of lots of stuff going but we did we did do a few DJ shows here and there yeah, and yeah. um we wrote some music for the King Kong. The musical. I think we might. Have, did we do some remixes? Maybe there was. Yeah, the probably. Hunters and collectors one, but I think that was more around the time Wildflower yeah. was go, going to be released. Did you? Um, maybe Wolfmother. Okay. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. It's like that's a, right. It's like a fucked version of Woman, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Of course. Like a banjo and shit, and it was fucking weird. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. It was- She's a woman. You know what I mean. You better listen. Listen to me. So yeah, well that's that's where we were at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think there was one of Bell and Sebastian that was just all African musicians and African. Why not? Yeah, music. It was literally recorded with the Sudanese choir of, of Melbourne or something, and it, every instrument was. It was like the song was just a cover done in all African <laughs> instruments. Yeah. Oh my lord. Glad to see you. I had a funny dream and you were wearing funny shoes. So when people want to know like what happened, it's it's like well listen to yeah. that. This is <laughs> That's where we were about. But but it's still like to me that that remix is still really really cool and everything. But it's obviously you can't you know the Aval- next Avalanche's record can't be like that. Yeah yeah yeah. So yeah, we're definitely doing stuff and and yeah, the pressure built up. It was it was just insane the pressure, and it wasn't until we kind of just got our lives together to be honest and started to learn to let go and grew as individuals and, you know, got rid of the negativity and the pressure. And we both kind of got into a lot of, you know, Alan Watts and stuff like that, Eckhart Tolle and just about the mind and just let the thoughts go, come in and go. And for a long time, we were just so scared to to even play anyone anything for the fear of being judged or, you know, this isn't good enough or... Yeah, we were like, let's just book in Sing Sing Studios Mm -hmm. to mix it, even though we weren't ready. And we will just that, that to us was just like if we, it's like if you build it, they will come. Yeah, if yeah, we yeah. book it, it will happen. Yeah, yeah. So, so we booked it, and I just remember that everything was in like it was still in this like so much in Robbie's old computer. So we had to put it all together, and it was still in like every song was maybe in 
a hundred different pieces, and I'm yeah, not yeah. even joking about that. It was just crazy. It was so crazy. Oh, so it all that all got like pro, you know, that all got bounced down into Pro Tools files, so we could go in there in Pro Tools, and and so from there, it did take a long time to mix because it was still, you know, that f- bit of the fear hanging around and everything. But you know, eventually we got our shit together and were able to finish it. And I I remember even even to the, the very last second. So Robbie was getting on a plane to, to go master it with the amazing Joe Laporta, who, who's just the greatest, um, the greatest master. We were literally up till six o'clock in the morning fine-tuning a vocal on Step Kids, and Robbie's like, I've got to leave my plane. I've got to be at the airport in three hours. So in classic Avalanche style, we leave everything right up to the very last minute before mastering and then it was like so we didn't even we couldn't even have a celebration of hey man we finished and let's you know have dinner or something like that we were just so tired we just went oh man good luck you know gave each other a hug and it was just like you know smashed after being up all night just tired just wanted to go home and that that was like the end of wildflower that was that was the very finish of it was at six o'clock in the morning and then he went over and mastered and, and that was it. It was done. Wow. Couldn't change anything, you know. <laughs> oh, man. So tell me about uh, the first show, like a first official Avalanche show back and kind of putting the new band together and kind of everything that kind of led up to that because that's like your first like official quote-unquote shows back in like at least 10, 15 years or whatever, you know. So Oh, a- that was... That was as a band, like we DJ'd before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we'd done that a few times and, and done a few big shows and we'd supported Jamiroquai, which was the most horrible, horrible experience <laughs> of my life. Not, not nothing against him. It was just can I just tell you this quick story? Why not? I go yeah. To the wildfire. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. these are these are good. This is great stuff that no one else gets. Like <laughs> honestly, so we were. We, this is maybe like two thousand and six or something. We were still kind yeah, of yeah. I remember off that since tour. I left Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Thinking, you know, everyone loves us. We're, you know, we're great. You know, blah blah blah. And so it was like, you know, first DJ show we'd done in a while. Just playing all this weird music and weird African music. And we just played after Sneaky Sound System, and they'd been really popular with, you know, their thing. And we were DJing, and I remember it was just this really sunny day, and the sun was just setting right into my eyes, and I could barely see the thing. And the crowd hated us. It was like. Everyone just standing there with no vibe. And then this guy holds up a big Jamiroquai-like sign and points to it. And all the crowd starts cheering like, get off, we want Jamiroquai on. And we're like, but man, we're the avalanches. What's going on? Oh, dude. So that was like the most horrible onstage experience I've ever had in my life. And that there were three shows. And I think though all three were like that. And I remember as soon as the third show ended, I literally got on the floor on stage and was like, yes, it's over. I was like almost crying oh. on my hands and knees. So anyway, the Wildflower shows, we, <laughs> we obviously the only way we knew how to do it was, you know, samples and then backing, you know, with drums, keyboards, you know, singers to sing along to it and everything yeah. like that. And, you know, the technology had advanced from the 12 megabyte um, Just like, samplers yeah. <laughs> back then. Just 24 to, megabytes to Mac, now, yeah. MacBook, yeah, no, MacBook Pros. A, a funny story. I think since since I left you, sorry, I, I'm digressing. <laughs> but okay. since I left you was mixed. Since I left you was mixed down onto an eight gig hard drive that cost five thousand dollars. Right. 
So anyway, Fucking but back hell. to Wildflower. So yeah, insane, insane. We just had finished it and we were like, we, we had Splendor booked. So we're like, fuck, we've got to, you know, what are we going to do? We have to get a band together. And because that was the only way we knew yeah. how to do it. So we could, you know, have have a lot of the samples on, on a backing track and play along to them and get singers and rappers to, you know, sing and play along as well. So that that was, you know, we just went back to our roots of, this is the only way that we know how to do it. So we got Paris, amazing drummer, and Eliza, amazing Eliza Wolfgram, amazing yeah. singer, and Spankrock, who who's yep. this great rapper. So they'd kind of do all that, all those parts. And Robbie was on guitar, which is great. <laughs> got himself a white SG to match nice. the hair. And I just, you know, I played like keys and triggered some samples and some synth. So that that was, you know, we jammed for about three months with those guys. And, and it was just amazing. Like, you know, they, they were all so amazing and, and still really good mates. Like, yeah, leading up to that, it was all up to this, you know, Splendor show. Uh, that was the whole lead up to this three months of rehearsal and uh, like, have you been to Splendor? Mm, yeah, would've... I've been a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a few people there. One or two, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an intimate so, gathering. So yeah. you kind of walk up from the backstage area. <laughs> I'll describe for the viewers at home who've never been there. <laughs> you walk up from the backstage area and you get onto the, the back of the stage and all you see is a hill that is filled with, at the time, with all the adrenaline and nerves, what might seem like one million people. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. It, it is like... As far as the eye can see of people. It's insane, and yeah. And I just remember being backstage, like but being on the back of the, the actual stage before we were about to go on and just peeking through the curtain like you always do and just thinking, I don't think I've made the right choices in life. Like, what have I, what, what have I done? Because I was so petrified <laughs> and so scared. It was like, it was like walking into a room with... A serial killer yeah right. and just going like being that petrified and going why did i do this you know like, why did i walk into this room and eventually like we all just got in this circle and just started dancing around and, and running around in this circle for about five minutes all of us going and just i can't remember what we were singing we were singing something and from that we kind of released a bit of energy and then went on to to play that first show in in 16 years and and i think it was it was good it wasn't amazing but it was good enough for like you know a, a put together band yeah who hadn't played in 16 years so yeah and then from that we went on to you know do like festivals here and our own shows here and um, yeah. the falls and all and the falls you know the falls shows were great with the band like we did the, the countdown for new year's eve and there was such a good energy and everything and and the, like all those shows were were amazing we played fuji rock and you know which is an incredible incredible like space yeah and, yeah uh, that's one if you ever want to go to it's it's mark wilson from jet and he's played them all he's like this is my my favorite festival and he tries to go over every year just to yeah just to go over. it is so incredible nice. you're just playing to all these people and there's just these beautiful misty mountains in the background and mm. it's like it's, it's you know I don't, I don't know if you remember monkey magic oh yeah that yeah kind of scene that scenery yeah, yeah, around yeah, yeah. like of, of that like asia and so it just reminded me of that. 
So yeah, we we went on and played a bunch of shows over overseas and just had the most fun ever. Yeah, wonderful, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're at this point now. You know, there's a new record coming, and you've just celebrated the 20th anniversary of your of your debut record, and you've been doing this for coming up 30 years now. And I'm yep. curious, like. Do you feel like the motivation to continue to write and perform and make music and, and, you know, be part of the music world is still the same as it was when you were first starting out and first interested in playing music? Or do you feel it's kind of contextually kind of shifted as you've gotten older? The motivation is is as strong as it's ever been, mm. Most definitely, like we're we're really motivated to to grow and to like we're always just want to be bigger and and you know we don't want to you know give up on our, our principles of of like what we believe in music and when you know we're not going to start writing shit like Taylor Swift or anything to be big but but we want to keep growing and keep you know like we want to headline festivals and we want to do all that stuff yeah um so the motivation is definitely there it's it's the difference is when you when you're young and and back then you're doing it very carefree like it's not a business it's not a business it's i'm on the dole i'm living at my auntie who can't speak english's place she cooks me pasta every night and does my class you know it's you you don't care like it's just like oh yeah we're doing gigs and it's crazy and everything like that and so now that it's it's more professional it's a lot more professional like us where we're a lot more professional which is really good yeah yeah be dead by now um so, but the motivation's still there, and, and the creativity and the, the energy and all that—it's still all the same. It's just a, a little bit different in that. I guess you just grow up. You grow up. We're not kids anymore. Yeah, we're not little punks. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're old punks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh god. Never change. Never change. Never change. That's what's up. All right. So we'll wrap it up here. But before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests, and now it is your cool. turn, Tony. I want to know about the best and the worst shows that you've ever played. I think I have mentioned them both. But oh, look, Fuji was great. But I think the the best one I ever played was in Ireland, and it was on the Since I Left You tour. Yeah, and it was in front of like fifteen thousand just wild Irish people. Mm-hmm. And I think we did. We got a gold record over there, so we were, we were quite popular there too. And it was just insane. Like from the start to the finish, they, yeah. it was like a soccer crowd. You know the way they oh, are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just wild like that. And I remember just walking off stage, going, "Oh shit!" Like I think I'm a rock star. Like I hadn't really had that. Oh, you know that rock star moment before. And I like I don't think that now it's that's nothing but it was one of those feelings of like this isn't normal normal people don't get to do this like this is this is something special that we're doing so yeah, yeah. that to me was like a, a, that was probably the best show that that oh, i think i remember and the worst one was easily that let's just let's just you know say the whole jamira quite tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't even want to i don't even want to give one show the glory no. i want to say it was all goddamn yeah. shit <laughs> Oh man, you should have gotten a better yeah. hat, man. Like, 
I remember at the time thinking, why aren't I wearing sunglasses? Like, what's going on? Uh, anyway, anyway. Uh, so there you go. Perfect. Thanks for that, Dave. Oh, that was that was really great. Thank you. I love talking about all that stuff that I never get to talk about because uh, I don't think about much stuff and it's good to reminisce. Absolutely. The album is We Will Always Love You. It is out now. It will be out still by the time that you hear this. Tony, thank you so much for your time today, uh, man. I really no appreciate it. Yeah, I do too. Thank you. I'm David Chemjong and all my friends are in Barbie. You've just listened to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting.